Stay calm. Don't panic. You got this. Welcome back to the Don't Panic Podcast, and we're excited to kick off today with Mark Matlock. So Mark Matlock is a great friend of our organizations. Uh, Mark is kind of a youth ministry guru of sorts. Uh, today we're going to indulge a little bit of our youth ministry listenership and um, kind of learn at the feet of an expert on this. And he spent some time talking through one of his uh, recent publications called Why Youth Ministry Matters. And this is a great primer to have conversations within a church about the value and worth of a youth ministry. And so if you um, if you don't know much about what a youth ministry does within a church or the value that it adds to a student and their families, this is a great one to listen to. Uh, Mark is uh, the president of Wisdom Works and is also an advisor to youth specialties. And if you look at his website, it also says he's a wisdom hacker. <laughs> yeah, so watch out. <laughs> yeah, he'll... But no, he, that's a big part of his work is working in the wisdom uh, realm and helping students uh, make kind of better choices through that. Uh, but this is a fantastic conversation we got to have with, with Mark, and so you definitely want to check it out. Yes, with someone who has spent a lot of years in youth ministry, working mm-hmm. with churches, advising other youth ministers. So he's a great expert um, for today. And we're also, um, if you listened to our last episode, we're sponsored by LCU, Lubbock Christian University, so check out their um, spot later on in the episode. Um, but we're also spotlighting the E3 conference with Centerpiece, um, and that's with Sally Gary. So we definitely want you to check out that conference. We'll be there recording two live podcasts, so if you want to come meet us in person, um, come to the conference. We get requests all the time. I know. Yeah, I mean, I who wouldn't want to... Can't. I had, to, I had to shut down my email one day because I could not deal with all the requests. I'm only going to give out five autographs the yes, whole weekend. Yes, so other yes. than that, you got to be there quick. Yeah, yeah, they run um, out. <laughs> exactly. But we would love for you to join us there. That's a great resource um, for those who are experiencing same-sex attraction. Um, if you are a helper of a teenager, if you're a parent, um, the faith community, this is a great conference for you. So you can register at centerpiece.net slash register. That will also be on our um, splash page for this episode. So you can find that there as well, but stick around after this interview um, as Chris and I wrap up and give a few closing thoughts as well. All right. Enjoy this interview with Mark Matlock. Hey, glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So we are today going to talk a little bit about uh, youth ministry, uh, the kind of the future of youth ministry. Mark wrote a a piece called Why Youth Ministry Matters and kind of goes through five uh, ideas to kind of help move youth ministry forward uh, to, the, to the future. And it's some great, uh, a great piece, which we'll link onto uh, the 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 site whenever we get this launched. Uh, we just kind of walk you through uh, some of this. Mark, uh, first of all, would you tell us a little bit what prompted you to write this this piece? Yeah, yeah. It's my, in my role as the executive director of eSpecialties, I was traveling around the country and um, spending a lot of time on the floors of youth pastors' homes, <laughs> literally just trying to get a sense of what was going on in our country with youth ministry. And through the course of all these conversations, there were these kind of rhythms that I was seeing. Um, and, uh, and one of them was just that a lot of churches didn't really understand 
what the value of youth ministry was, or they weren't leveraging that value. So these, I came up with five reasons the church needs youth ministry, which make up kind of the, kind of the structure of why youth ministry really matters, which is a little PDF that you referenced. And it really is, I'd like to say that it was all my brainchild, but it really came through just all of these, you know, literally hundreds of conversations that I was having around the country over the course of about 18 months with youth pastors. Um, and the idea was, how can we really kind of try to define a little bit what are we trying to accomplish in youth ministry and why is it vital to the church and why is it vital to teenagers and how do we have a way of sharing that in a concise way with senior leadership when they're just looking at it maybe as, well, this is just here to take care of our kids or to keep them active. What, what's the real role of this? And that was kind of why we put that together. Yeah. Well, youth ministry was a huge part of my growing up. My dad was a youth minister, and so, I mean, that's what I grew up with. Um, In your opinion, when a teenager is part of a healthy church youth ministry, what should they be experiencing? What does that even look like in church today? Well, what it looks like is that teenagers are actually involved in the life of the church, that they are the hands and feet of Jesus. They're not the future of the church. They're not the church in waiting uh, they are, they're not, spe- they're not just spectators. They are participants actively in the body of Christ. And, um, you know, in, in, you know, when the Bible talks about, you know, the church being the body and the body having many parts and that all of these parts are essential. Well, teenagers are a part of that body and we're not waiting until they're 18. We're not waiting until they're 21. We're not waiting until they're married, till they have children, they are an active part of the body as soon as they have the Holy Spirit in them. And we need to be engaging them as full-on members of the body of Christ. And so they should be participating with their whole self. And if we're not doing that, then we're not really engaging them well and we don't have a healthy church. Right. So how, how does that compare to what you see nationally then? You know, that, kind of that, that ideal of getting students involved with the, the body of the church, the work of the church. Um, do you see that? happening uh around the country is that is that the norm or is that do you see something different uh you know that's what's interesting over the last i would say maybe 15 years youth ministry used to be kind of a homogenized kind of experience every church you go to kind of did the same games they did the same kind of a format now everybody's playing off really different kind of you know cards in terms of what they're doing so i see it happening in some places in other places they they're not even close to it What's happened more as we've kind of gone more to kind of utilizing business best practices to run our churches, and some of that's been great. It's been really good stewardship of our resources, our time, being able to be strategic. But a lot of what's happened, too, is that youth ministries kind of become a church within a church, mm-hmm. but not a full-on church. So, um, so we're not leveraging the fullness of teenagers in our, our congregations. You talk a lot in this piece about um, youth ministry should be there to connect teenagers to the larger intergenerational community, to the church, not just to be a church in a church. Um, Before we kind of talk about that, what is your definition of this intergenerational community for those who aren't a part of church and might not know what that means? Yeah, the idea is that, that one of the goals of youth ministry is to integrate teenagers into the larger body. It's not typical for adults 
to in our culture to think, oh, let's invite a teenager into the room to help us think of this. Or, um, hey, I'm the pastor. I need to be thinking about the teenagers in my congregation when I'm developing a sermon. And so what ends up happening is um, uh, youth ministry just kind of starts just focusing on the teenagers and letting the adults kind of do their thing. And what happens is, is that the adults lose the benefit of the teenagers being engaged and involved and the students miss out on really being connected to the adults in the church as well. And so they just kind of, you know, coexist, but they're not functioning as a body together. Right. So with this intergenerational, I guess, model of, youth ministry, um, or I guess getting teenagers into the intergenerational community. Um, how do you see this model of youth ministry impacting a teenager in the present moment and even moving forward? Yeah, I think, um, back to my, my, the church that I grew up in and the church that I'm currently a part of that really do try to make these things happen. I think it's important to realize that, um, that, in trying to become intergenerational, this doesn't diminish the importance of the youth pastor. It challenges and changes maybe how that youth pastor functions in the church because that youth pastor is now being an advocate for integrating teenagers in. So like, um, so like in our church uh, that I'm presently in, one, one way that this has made an impact is um, they actually, for a period of time, the, uh, youth pastor would critique the sermons uh, based on whether or not they were appropriate for teenagers mm. and just helping the the pastor before the message and after the message think through, did I use examples that were relevant to teenagers? Did I apply the passage in a way that a teenager could make use of it. And sometimes it's just simply changing something that was about work and also applying it to school or something, but it created a mindfulness on behalf of those that were, were preaching at our church to realize I have to think about teenagers because they're active parts of this body and they were just being overlooked. And so that kind of brought awareness. So for teenagers, they started, all of a sudden we started seeing attendance go up in the services because the students were like, Hey, there's something for me here. You know, there's, so the senior pastor is getting what he wants, which is more people coming and participating in, in the services. Uh, but the students are coming because they're getting something as well. So I think what it does is it makes students go, Hey, church is for me. Um, this isn't my mom and dad's thing. This is for me. And I saw this happen in, in the church that I actually grew up in. Like you, uh, youth ministry is a real big part of my spiritual formation growing up. And I think it's a really continues to be an important part of spiritual formation um, for teenagers today. Um, and I, I saw in our church, we were bringing in a lot of um, students from outside of our church family. So they were coming in and they did not have parents that were going to church. Some of them were really rough students. And I think about their lives and I'm like, man, what would their lives have been like had they not gotten involved in our youth group that was intergenerational? Mm -hmm. Because some of the greatest impact that these students had was not because they came on Wednesday night, but because the youth pastor connected them to the larger church family. And maybe they identified with a family or something that kind of took them on as spiritual orphans into their home. In fact, I was just on vacation with my mom and dad. And we go on vacation with two of those uh, 
the spiritual orphans, so to speak, that were in our youth group. My mom and dad still, they still, their families now go on vacation with my parents, even when I don't, um, which is kind of weird. Yeah. But that's the power of that, of, of kind of how that works. And um, I have a friend who recently just passed away and literally died with nothing. No, no car, no home, no savings account. Um, the only thing that we found so far that he, that he owned is a storage unit. We don't even know what's in there yet. We haven't been able to get into it. Huh. And um, it was shocking to me to see a life that didn't have this community. He's an atheist, always rejected the church, was kind of hurt by the church. But I started thinking then about these friends of mine that grew up in similar situations that came into our church and got those intergenerational connections. And I thought, wow, it was a part of being in that integrated you know, church family, because the youth pastor is only going to do so much. The youth ministry is only going to do so much through teaching. It was the, it's the network of relationships. And I personally believe that when we look at what happened in Genesis, what we see taking place is a disruption of relationships, our relationship with God, our relationships with each other, our relationship with nature, our relationship with ourselves, all of those relationships were, were disrupted and we became disconnected. And so as a, a, a teenager growing up in a very disconnected world, for them to be able to come into a place, it's not the teaching alone that's going to save them. It is being connected to the body of Christ right. uh, by being a part of the church. It's so important. I love the examples that you're giving and, and just everything that you're talking about, about how this benefits teenagers. So why do you think that more youth ministries don't attempt this shift, this intergenerational model that you're talking about? I don't think that it's because anybody's, uh, you know, being naive or whatever. I don't think we needed it as much as we need it today. I don't think we ever had to be intentional about it because it already existed in so much of our world. You know, it used to be when, um, we grew up, we knew our neighbors and we knew who the principal of the school was. And we knew the teachers that were teaching our kids and we knew our police officers. We don't see that anymore. Right, we don't see people connected like that. We don't know the people that are doing law enforcement, which is why we have all these issues in our in our culture today. We don't know the people that are teaching our our kids, um, and so we were able to do youth ministry because all of those connections already existed. Now those connections are not there for for teenagers, and so we have to make it more of an intentional part of what we're doing in youth ministry. Well, I think you're you're defining intergenerational a lot different than what whenever I was in youth work, you know, when someone said do intergenerational ministry, typically what that meant was, uh, you know, go and rake someone's leaves or do, do some kind of acts of service, which are, which are great, but that's about where it ended. <laughs> right. It was yeah. like, Hey, let the, let the teenager serve the senior citizens at the banquet. <laughs> yeah. Right. And they were just slave labor. Yeah. 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 And, and of course no one shows up because no one really wants to do that, you know? Right. And, right. And so, so the way, I, I, love, I love how you're defining it. it is, it is getting into the important pieces of the church because, you know, having input into the, the senior pastor sermon, that's significant. <laughs> it know? is. It is. And that's why I wrote these five reasons in this monograph. A lot of youth pastors are like, hey, you're preaching to the choir here. And I'm like, absolutely. But can you go and say these things to your pastor? Or can you say, hey, this guy wrote this thing. Let's talk about it. How are we doing at these things? I go, this is a neutral way to start a conversation with your senior pastor about how you elevate these things in your church. So you mentioned this briefly earlier, just about really around attendance. But how do you see teenagers respond? 
to this kind of shift in, in mentality, like you know, just the way they they act and how they. Yeah, it do, it doesn't happen overnight, so it's not like this radical thing where teenagers are like, "Oh, wow, today is so much better than yesterday," because uh-huh. this takes a lot of time. As a youth pastor, you're now building relationships with a larger church, which actually improves the health of the youth pastor. Um, you're recruiting more volunteers, adults, mentors, families that will connect with students. Um, so it changes some of the job of youth ministry um, and how you spend some of your days when you're not around teenagers. It's trying to locate these adults and invest in them and check on them and make sure that they're making those connections. So it's a, it's a, it's a little bit different there, but um, I think most most of the time what you see is students being more engaged because they feel like, um, you know, church matters. If I don't show up, it, it matters. Think, yeah. yeah. If I'm, I, I look at the things that my kids participate in and they participate in things that require their presence. If it's just, I'm just coming to be a spectator, I'm not as interested in that. But if somehow I know me not being there means that the team doesn't get to play in the same way, mm-hmm. then they're there. And so when they're, no, I'm an important part of the church, you know, I'm, I'm contributing. And it's not just, you know, oh, we let some of them sing a worship song or whatever, but really inviting them to the imagination of how do we serve our communities? How do we go out into the neighborhoods and do stuff. You know, teenagers know a lot more about what's going on in a community than a lot of adults do because mm-hmm. they go to school every day and they're in a cross section of, of society in a different way than we are as adults. Um, how are we asking them, what do you see going on out there? Mm-hmm. How do we, how do we do that? When you invite teenagers into the imagination of the church, things get really exciting. Absolutely. On the other hand, what trends do you see with teenagers who aren't a part of this intergenerational model, who are more separate of a church within a church? What do you see in them? What maybe are they lacking compared to other student ministries? Well, I think, you know, the the research out there showing about, you know, how connected teenagers are to the church once they graduate from high school kind of shows that um, the teaching alone and I'm a teacher, so it's hard to say this. The teaching alone doesn't make all the difference in the world. It's an important part, but it really is those those relationships. And we stay connected because we're now there, there's a functional side of that, right? Of just, hey, because I have responsibility, I'm more involved. Um, but I, I, this isn't about trying to engineer um, a better experience. This is about really unleashing the kingdom in teenagers' lives. And so, yeah, there's, there's probably truth that if you get them more involved, they're less likely to leave or they'll stay more connected. That's function. We're really trying to give kids like, this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is like making, uh, letting us live on earth as it is in heaven by making all things new and being a part of his restorative work. And you see teenagers go, oh. I want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to do that. In fact, several youth pastors have reported to me that they're finding more teenagers showing up for service oriented projects than ever before. Um, because they want to do something with their life that makes a difference. Hmm. And so even more so than some of the sit and listen types of things. Yeah. yeah. So especially when they have an investment in imagining it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and identifying the problem and, and thinking of a solution. So let's talk a little bit about the the imagination piece. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you mentioned this a little bit earlier about about kind of tapping into the imagination of the church and you know teenagers being a part of that. Just kind of on a on a broad uh, bird's eye view, talk about the imagination of the church. What, what do you what do you mean by that? 
um, it goes back to that statement about the teenager just being slave labor Uh uh, and saying, Hey, they're contributing. Um, Yes, they have their hands and they can contribute with their hands and their time uh, very important. But we are seeing a trend around the country of teenagers that are growing up in a entrepreneurial culture uh, with the kind of the internet explosion and the dot-com explosion, all that. Kids can manufacture, can produce, can connect with an audience easier than ever before. And they can get started with a fistful of dollars as opposed to having to go out and apply some bank loan. And so we're seeing a lot of teenagers that have um, creative and entrepreneurial orientations toward their future. And that's where the job market's going. And so, um, so we have a, a culture of teenagers that are wanting to engage life that way. And we, as a church, aren't necessarily giving them opportunities to participate in that way. And so back in long time ago, there was this organization. It's the first organiz- youth ministry organization in the United States outside of the church. It's called Christian Endeavor. And Christian Endeavor has founded so many different leaders that are senators, Supreme Court justices. I mean, it's amazing mm-hmm. when you look at their list of people that have you know gone through the Christian Endeavor. Um, today, uh, people like Tony Campolo and Howard Hendricks, who were who were childhood friends, um, they 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 both were Endeavor. Um, really? Actually, yeah, they're in their eighties now, but That's they awesome. they were involved because you know youth ministries didn't exist, and so you'd have maybe an Endeavor group. And Endeavor was never about like a teaching program for teenagers. It was about giving them the ability to be a part of the church. I think it's time that we have to return to some of this. And what Endeavor would do is these kids would go out and they look in their communities. They take a walk in their community. They look around and they try and figure out what is God doing in our community and what should our response be? And all the adults did was help lead the students through a process of trying to figure out what does God want us to be doing? And then basically stay out of their way, try to try to give them what they needed to accomplish it. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing, you know, what, what that should happen. And so the goal I think for every church should be if all the adults died with the teenagers immediately know, like go, okay, we're, 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 we're already in the motion. Hmm. You know, we're already in, in, installed here. We can, we can keep doing this. Yeah. But, um, on committees and and things like that. What about sitting down with a group of teenagers going, Hey, uh, we want to put you in a, in a a mix of people. And, um, we want you to tell us ideas for our church to reach the community. Mm -hmm. Um, that doesn't happen very often when it does, you'd be surprised. You know, our church did a thing where we gave, they gave little micro grants out to just random people one Sunday morning. Some of the best things that came back were from people under the age of 18 hmm. in terms of things that just blew up and yeah. uh, the passion and the time that they have to invest and the technology and the things that they're on the front end of that we as adults st- sometimes stumble over uh, is so, so empowering. You know, we, this idea of reverse mentoring that's happening in the corporate world where they're realizing that we have a generation that's growing up with skills that the older generation needs as opposed to vice versa. So that we need to reverse mentor and learn from a younger generation. I have heard of call that before reverse mentoring. Yeah. I didn't close. Yeah, cl- yeah. yeah. I wish I'd, you know, I wish I'd coined that term. I didn't. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> um, sense, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that that's a way we have to think in our church too is, um, not that not that young people have all the wisdom, all the answers by any means, but we need to really be going, hey, they have skills. They see a different world than we see. 
what is God doing in that? Mm-hmm. And how does that inform our church and keep us, uh, the church, healthy and relevant where it needs to be? Mm-hmm. You talk a lot about this, that their opinions matter. Their valuable teenagers aren't just, I think in your PDF, you talk about they're not just like many adults, or I can't remember the exact term you use, but just a lot of times we see them as separate from adults. They're mm-hmm. not there yet. They're growing into that. Mm-hmm. Is there a place and what is that place for them to have this imagination conversation, for them to actually be a part and to have their voice heard by the church body as a whole? Yeah, well, church leaders have to start spending more time with teenagers. One of the things I realized when I went back to my home church just a couple of weeks ago was that our um, the camp association that we are a part of required senior pastors to go to camp with the middle school and high school students during the summer for the whole week. Oh, wow. Now, they didn't. Wow. <laughs> yeah. The, the senior pastor could choose to stay with them or they had other housing for the, the pastors. Um, sometimes they stayed with us. Sometimes, like I remember our pastor would stay with us sometimes. Um, but um, but it was amazing because I did not realize how rare that was for me, not just to get to know my pastor so well, because, you know, he hung out with us. He had conversations with us. He led our evening conversations. But I also met other pastors from other churches in our area. They became advisors and counselors to me. Um, you know, because every summer we would go back with the same group and, and they were there. So it takes uh, senior leadership to say, hey, I didn't just hire the youth pastor to do that. They've got to own it. And that's the one thing as youth pastors we can't control. But, um, but it is something that you can have a conversation about is how do I increase, you know, the connection? Um, our church did something where the, we have a, a teaching team of about five of us, including our senior pastor that, that teach regularly. And we did just like after dinner, after service, uh, conversations with the teenagers where we would meet with them and they could ask us questions and that sort of thing, just get to know us. And a lot of the teenagers feel very comfortable with the with the pastoral team to talk to them and engage them. And that keeps us thinking about them and it keeps, um, it, it keeps the students connected to the people that are, that are in leadership. But that's a, that's a, you can't make that happen. They have to want that, right. that, that executive part of it. Yeah. Right. Uh, so just kind of looking forward, you know, how, as you engage a teenager in the imagination of the church, mm-hmm. how do they benefit? How does a teenager benefit? moving forward. Yeah. I think a teenager benefits because they, they realize that it's their whole life that God's interested in engaging. Um, their life is not about sin management, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which is what a lot of teenagers think that Christianity is about is doing the right thing. Um, yeah. Doing the right thing is great, but um, it's really more about being the hands and feet of Jesus in the world around us and being his representative here on earth, being an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. How are we helping teenagers understand that aspect of discipleship? Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really important thing that just comes out in the fullness of their spiritual formation. I look at all my friends in high school that had that kind of engagement. And uh, when I was back at my own church, I mean, here, you know, gosh, what, 25, 30 years later since I graduated from high school and who are the, the deacons and elders? It's some of these these uh, friends that walked off the street and into our youth group, mm-hmm. you know, that are now um, thriving in their relationship with Jesus mm-hmm. and actually leading the church. Um, but it was because they were given opportunities to contribute 
when they were younger. And some of that is just look at your youth ministry budget. How do you figure out how you can, how do you get money so that the, you can, the youth can make, you know, have experiments and fail. Uh, I'm working on a new, uh, uh, a new event. Um, it's a one day, uh, kind of, uh, experience for about 15 churches in a community. They bring about five to seven of their students along with the youth pastor. And we actually take them through a day of learning how to unleash the imagination of their teenagers called activate. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's, uh, something that we're just uh, launching this year and we're excited about it because we think it'll help youth pastors learn how to do this, but also show students in kind of a safe environment that they can do that, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. Right. We've been talking mainly about um, youth ministers, and as we kind of start to wrap up, do you have any advice for maybe a teenager who wants and craves that intergenerational part, craves the mentorship from adults? Is there anything that they can do, whether that's talking to their youth minister or whatever? What does that look like from a teenager perspective? Well, part of the reason I wrote the Why Youth Ministry Matters monograph was to be able to be a catalyst for people who are trying to change youth ministry in their church or have conversations around it. You had this outside thing you could discuss, tear apart, rip it to shreds, uh, you know, whatever you wanted to do, but it'd be a catalyst for conversation. That would be one of the first things that I would do is tell a student or a parent, say, invite your youth pastor to lunch and say, Hey, let's talk about these five reasons that church needs youth ministry. How well do you think we're doing in these? How could we increase what we're do- already doing? Cause most churches are doing it to some extent. Now, how do we do it more and more? You know, the church of Thessalonians, you know, Paul said, man, you guys love each other a lot. Now increase what you're doing, love each other more and more. And I think that's really the key is we're all doing some things right. We just need to figure out how to do more and more of that in right. these changing times. Right. Well, you know, having read the uh, your piece, it, we've scraped the surface. <laughs> There's a lot more uh, that we could talk about in this. And uh, with time, we're not going to be able to. But uh, even though we'd scraped the surface, we talked about a lot of stuff today. Um, what's kind of one thing you would want our listener to hear from from all of this today that you would say this is – Guys, this is the important thing. Yeah, I think what we have to stop doing um, is we always think of of adolescents as being, uh, they're not a child, but they're not really an adult. Mm -hmm. And what we need to realize is, no, they're really this really chaotic, fabulous fusion of both of those things, (laughs) right? Where they're incredibly adult-like and incredibly childlike simultaneously as they're going through this transition. It's not this no man's land. It's not something different. It's literally chaotically both. Mm -hmm. And the more that we speak to the adult side of an adolescent, we will see that come out. And if we look at historically, you know, people were were doing much more grown up and adult things younger in life than they are presently. And part of that's because we've really segmented adolescence as being its its own phase. And I really think that we have to realize, no, it's like, it's like you're literally in this process of leaving these things behind from childhood and stepping into adulthood. And the more that we call out to the adult in teenagers, the more they see it. I've been doing youth ministry for 25 years. I'm now talking to adults that were teenagers in the ministry that I was doing. And the one thing that I hear as a theme is you always treated us like adults. 
Hmm. And I go, wow, you always thought we had something to contribute. And it's interesting to hear that from people that are now raising their own teenagers, Mm -hmm. um, that they saw that. And I said, you know what? It's hard to do. As a parent, I look at my own kids and I see my son and daughter coming out of the womb. I have a hard time even thinking of them as adults. Like I, I realized one day I'm treating my I'm treating my kids differently, my teenage kids differently than I would treat other teenagers that I work with mm-hmm. uh, because of that parent role, right? right? So it's constantly that tension of how do I call out to the adult in them? And when you do that, you see that emerge. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of the last question, what is one thing you would say to a helper of a teenager and that they could do differently or better as they serve teenagers in youth ministry? I always think it's fun, like... I've always found in working with people, if we can make things together, um, it's one of the best ways to counsel, disciple, mentor is if we're working on a project together. And that's why inviting teens into imagination of the church is so important because we're building something together. And if we're building something together, uh, we have a memory, we have a reason to get together. We're not just walking through a book or going through a curriculum or something like that. So coming up with a, what's a problem, identifying a problem and then figuring out how do we want to try and solve that problem? Now let's try it. Okay. We totally blew it. Mm-hmm. You know, don't walk away from it. How do we iterate and create an, a new version of that so that it actually works um, and keep going that way? man, it really connects you with those teenagers in really special ways. And uh, not every teenager is the same. You know, there's an old saying that if you yell into a piano, the only strings that vibrate are the ones that are on the same vibration as your voice. And I think in youth ministry, if we have one person in charge speaking to all of the youth, there are only going to be certain teenagers that they actually vibrate with. We need a, a, a chorus of adults uh, singing out to our youth so that they respond. I always get the comic book geek goth kind of kids that just kind of, you know, kind of get attracted to me. Uh, I just have that kind of a background and appeal, I guess. Uh, I get them and they get me, but I, it's just like, I, I don't even know why. I go to speak at a camp and after the first night, those are the kids that come up and engage me. I don't know what I do that does that. I don't dress that like that. I don't, you know, do anything that would signal that, but they, there's something about me and my past and my, who I am that resonates with them. So, Hey, praise God, I'm going to leverage that. But what about, there's some other kids I never can connect with. And there's a type, I won't mention them here, but I just can never, I do it as much as I try. And, um, but there are other adult leaders that connect with them so well. So as a youth pastor, as a helper, fi- figure out that constellation of people that you can have around them. And don't be afraid of that. Lean into that. Uh, it only makes your ministry stronger. This is the university for us, for the student scholars, for the tenacious ones who seek to discover new depths in their field. For the pioneers in math, theology, nursing, and education. This is the university for those seeking truth in every discipline. This is the university for you. Lubbock Christian University. Okay, Carly. So this was super helpful for me. Uh, being a youth, a youth pastor for nine years before I did this Teen Lifeline gig, I really enjoyed talking to Mark about these things because, you know, especially in my last years working at a church, these are things I felt 
hmm. like this wasn't certain things weren't right. Um, right. That almost certain ways I was doing youth work was not sustainable in a church context because I, I I thought you know we are we are an isolated group of people. So if you go to a church and you hear about the youth group, um, you might see the youth group sitting in its, in its own little space on on a Sunday morning, or they have their own classes, um, or their own worship service, or it's almost like they're always separated out doing things mm-hmm. on their own from the rest of the, of the church body. And I'd always thought, you know, is that, is that what they need? Is that a healthy thing? And he really addresses that a lot in this, in this interview is, you know, we have to find ways within our church communities as youth pastors to, in, to integrate them back in to the, the overall body uh, at the church. That is not just about, them doing things on their own level, but they have to interact intergenerationally. Right. And I loved how much you talked about this intergenerational and that they're in this weird in-between of they're not quite adults. Mm -hmm. They're part adult, part kid. They still have that fun part, but they're becoming adults. Um, And so we can't just isolate them and say, oh, you're still a kid. You don't get it. But now is the time to integrate them into our adult world. And I think um, we would both say that it's important, even if you don't go to church, even if your kids aren't a part of a youth group, that you as a parent have to be intentional about making sure that they have intergenerational relationships, Mm -hmm. that they are becoming part of the larger adult community, whether that's partnering with some coaches that they have or Mm -hmm. teachers or finding another organization or way for them to engage and take responsibility in the adult world. Um, But if you don't rely on church for that, then as a parent, there are other things that you can do as well. Well, we talked about too, uh, you know, one of the activities that we do in our support groups is we have this circle activity where they, um, a student will kind of write out their relationships and proximity to how close they feel like they are to them at that particular time. And this is more anecdotal, but one of the things that we see is, is, kind of the more trouble students are in or the kind of more difficult life is for them, you will see they don't have that many adults Hmm. in their circle um, or anyone they can consider close. Most of the adults in their lives are way far away or they play a role that they wish they didn't play. And, you know, that doesn't always go that way, but we're finding that students who do struggle the most with life do not have those strong adult relationships. They might have one, um, but that's it. And, you know, the, the way Mark talks here is, in the church context, that has to that has to grow, and that has to be intentional on the youth pastor's part is to create those those spaces. And and uh, you know, if you if you read the 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 book that the Mark wrote, he talks a lot about incorporating the overall church staff and and having having students have a say in the overall direction and imagination of the church. Right. And I love the I love the idea of the of the imagination piece, where students are asked to say you know in the in the direction of our message and our, our purpose, what can we do that would best serve those students? Right. I think some of his ideas might even seem, I don't know if extreme is the right word, but when he talks about the, a pastor sitting down with teens and saying, how can I better preach to you? Mm-hmm. That seems like, what in the world are we doing? Mm-hmm. But he talks a lot about that. Our culture has changed where we used to know the mailman's name, where we used to know our kids' teachers well and knew them outside of school. Teenagers that relationship, that community isn't always there anymore. Mm-hmm. They can go on social media and interact with just teenagers. 
Um, They have other ways through social media, through their sports, that they might not have relationships with adults like they used to because Mm -hmm. they're not forced to. Um, And so like you said, that importance of we have to do other things that 10 years ago, parents, youth ministers didn't have to do because that community was already built in. Well, I think finding for a teenager to find a non-directive adult, um, because, you know, when, when it comes to the senior pastor at a church or a preacher, for that person who has incredible influence to sit down with a teenager and say, what do you think I should say? And like, be serious, not like pan, you know, patting him on the head, but like really interested. What an incredible impact that would make on the life of a teenager that someone right. who has incredible influence and responsibility really wants to know what they think. You know, and, and when we do our groups, that's a big part of what we do is we, we are non-directive. And, and when we, when we lead a group, we're not telling them what to do. We're asking lots of questions. We're genuinely interested in what they, what they bring. And so, you know, the intergenerational piece that Mark is talking about is to flood a student's life with people like that who want to know more about them or interested in them or value what they have to say as, as a, as a learner, as an interested party. Exactly. Yeah. When I think it's key for the youth minister not to feel like they have to take on everything by themselves. Um, he talks about this chorus of voices that mm-hmm. a youth minister might reach 10 kids and really connect with them. But if I come into that youth group, I might reach five different kids in a totally different way. Mm-hmm. And that's not because I'm better than the youth minister, but that's just because personality wise that we connect. And so I love that he talks about the youth minister not getting defensive of that, um, but being intentional about bringing other adults in to minister to your kids. And that is your job. Mm-hmm. Um, your job isn't to have a great relationship with every kid, but to make sure that every teen has a positive adult relationship in their life, even if that isn't you. Absolutely. Well, this this book is uh, is so helpful. It's concise. It's short. It's uh, pretty easy to digest. And you know, Mark wrote it that way, where you know a, a youth pastor could read it and use it as a conversation starter at a church amongst exactly. the staff and leadership. Or if you're just interested in kind of the direction youth ministry is headed, this is a great place to look as well. If you if you're like youth ministry is stupid, why would I do that? This is a good place to to, to kind of find out what what is really going on to access this book uh, check out uh, markmatlock.com you can get this for free Um, you can uh, sign up for his emails um, all that kind of stuff so I encourage you to go and do that it's it's easy to access and uh, I'm on the email list and Mark isn't obnoxious with his emails he's pretty he's pretty (laughs) light on that yeah yeah you're not going to get an email every five minutes from Mark so I I definitely encourage you to, to, to do that The Don't Panic Podcast is produced by Teen Life and Ricky Lewis. Your hosts are Chris Roby and Carly Duke. The intro music you heard today comes from Under the Chandeliers. You can find them on SoundCloud or Spotify, so go take a listen. If you want to check out today's notes and resources, visit our website, don'tpanicpodcast.org. Or you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Don't Panic Talk. Thanks for listening, and remember, don't panic. You've got this. <laughs>